Bone says, when it's my time to go, and I always think when it's my time to go up here. <laughs> but it's not what you think. I need grace, but then I look back at my beautiful wife back there, and I think about all you all. You all need grace when I come up here, too. She needs grace, too. <laughs> I would say God's given her grace, but then you might think I'm talking about myself again, and you know I'm not doing that. I do bring you greetings from Big Creek Baptist Church from uh, Wayne, West Virginia. Appreciate I'll write my time down so I don't forget. It is an honor to preach for any of God's churches. It's a blessing every time that someone calls up and they ask you to, and you start shaking, still shaking. And then you start thinking about what you're going to preach, and I thought I was going to preach on faith, and Jimmy, I was talking to Jimmy about it, and we was talking about how good a sermon it was going to be, but it wasn't what you needed, what Mike had, what you needed. How marvelous it is to have faith in God. Amen. Appreciate that, Mike. Amen. And I always love to hear Brother Jim. You know, I always worry about the one that preaches in front of me that I might not be able to pay attention to him. But Brother Jim's one of my favorite preachers, and I appreciate your message there, Brother. It really blessed my heart. Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Becky asked me if it was a repeat. I said, yeah, I'm gonna, pretty much any message she hears is going to be a repeat. Because there ain't nothing new. I'm still trying to find something new to preach on. And when I do, I'm sure the church will call me down. You don't want something new, do you? You want to hear what the old, old story? Mark chapter 6, verse 1. And he went out, speaking of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom? You know, there's an astonishment. And whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom? That Brother Jim was talking about. What wisdom is this discernment is this which is given unto him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? the brother of James and Joses and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he, the sovereign of the universe, if he, there's paradoxes in Scripture written there. And he, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could do their no mighty work. The one that had said, let there be light, and there was light. The one that had divided the Red Sea for Moses and his children of Israel to go across. The one that, as Brother Brandon sang about this morning, that all the walls fell down. Could do their no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. There's another whole sermon there. My text is verse 3, the last phrase, and they were offended at him. And I've got a couple of different titles. That's what I preached at Big Creek. The title of my message is morning, since I've got some extra time since Brother Andy's not here. is <laughs> extraordinary. The title. You know, I love that word, extraordinary. 
the, the root word, if you break it up, is extraordinary. You know, there's something that's ordinary. And, but when it's something is extraordinary, it's extraordinary. It's, it's extra. You know, when somebody tries to preach something like Brother Jim was saying, that there's a thus saith the Lord and there's, there's a thus saith Jim Crace, that's extra scriptural, thus saith Jim Crace. And, you know, you may take it and it, it might be sound, you know, instruction about something else, but it's extra scriptural. It's, it's, it's not really in the realm of Scripture when we use that. And so when we look at the word extraordinary, something that's extraordinary, it's not really in the realm of ordinary, is it? It's extraordinary. It's one of those words that you kind of, when you get to the Grand Canyon there, and the Lord blessed us to be able to go there last year, and you kind of just walk up to the edge, and you look over, and it takes your breath away because it's extraordinary. It's not like uh, walking up to the edge of a hill in West Virginia. And looking over the edge, and it, th- there is extraordinary views in West Virginia. But there are things that implant themselves upon us that there's no words that we can really find unless we use these, these extraordinary words. Extraordinary. My Savior was extraordinary. Amen. And just think about all the things that He did. You think about it in verse number 2, it says, When the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Wouldn't we all flock to go? Now, I know it's a wonderful thing that Brother Mike came all the way from Granite Bay, California to come preach for us. And I know that's why most of you are here. But how much more would come if they knew Jesus Christ, the extraordinary one, was going to be here? That's what's happening in verse number 2. The most extraordinary speaker this world has ever heard. The most extraordinary personality this world has ever seen has come and he's teaching. And many hearing him were astonished. That's what I would expect. Saying, from whence hath this man these things? I've never heard anything like this before. That's extraordinary. I've never heard it placed that way. I've never heard it in this context here. It's the same old story. Jesus Christ, He's not going to change. He came to do His Father's will. He's preaching the same word that John the Baptist did. You come back and see the same, same outline. Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Same outline you and I got. And what wisdom is this that is given unto Him that even such mighty works are wrought by His hands? You know, as you, as you look at the... It's not the action so much. first thing I want to look at here. His, his extraordinary teaching with astonishing wisdom in the Gospel of Luke. Hold your spot here, Mark. We will come back right back. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And I was just thinking about this. When Jesus Christ was 12 years old, you know, there's a lot of kids, uh, I think they're, you know, graduate high school by the time they're 12, 13, 14 years old. They're, they're child prodigies. They're genius. They're extraordinary, aren't they? It's out of the realm of ordinary. You know, I'd like to tell you my kids are prodigies, but, you know, he's uh, 18 years old and he's graduating just like the rest of us did. I was 17 when I graduated. I was, you know, a little, little bit. You know, you, that's ordinary, though, isn't it? He's 12 years old. As you get here in the Gospel, Luke chapter 2, verse 41, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast, and when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him 
in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, the most learned people here, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished. Same word that was used after in our text verses. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed. His extraordinary teaching. As you, as you read there in, in Mark chapter 6, what these folks were hearing was just extraordinary teaching. Something they hadn't heard before. Something they hadn't. The other thing that's mentioned there in uh, Mark chapter 6 is the mighty works that he'd done. The mighty works that Jesus Christ did. Now you can read all through the Gospels. You can read how he changed water into wine. You can read about how he had compassion upon the multitude. Didn't want to send them away. He said, let's feed them before they go. The disciples said, well, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, maybe. Jesus said, well, what do we got? Five loaves and two fishes. But what are they among so many? I think that's about right. Gideon, you got too many people when you got 30,000 people. Get it down to 300, that's about right. It's extraordinary. Five loaves and two fishes, and they picked up 12 fragments full of basket, basket full of fragments, didn't they? What an extraordinary works that he was doing. In Acts chapter 10 and verse number 38, uh, Apostle Peter talking there at the house of Cornelius is talking about Jesus Christ. He went around doing good things. What an extraordinary person he is. Come back to our text in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 3. And, and, and tell me if I'm misreading this then. Because it says at the end of verse number 3, it says they were offended at him. For what? For being a gifted teacher, an extraordinary teacher? For, for performing wonderful works? Next chapters 3 through 5, the whole, the whole context of where Peter and John went up in the temple and they healed that lame man. The next, the next three, the three chapters are devoted to people persecuting Peter and John for what? For healing a lame man. They were offended at him. It doesn't matter what you're doing in context. We need to understand this. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. There's a lot of people doing good works and they name hospitals after them. There's a lot of people doing all kinds of fancy things, and there's a lot of learned professors in the hospital that have a gift of teaching, like Brother Jim was talking about. It just somehow they've got a knack. And, and they exalt them and they lift them up. But why were they offended at Christ? What did they want? As you read the context here in verse number three, it says, Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. What did they want to stop being offended? Because it says they were offended at him. What would make them stop being offended? The words that they use here give us a clue as what they really wanted. Ain't he a carpenter? Well, why don't you start acting like a carpenter? Aren't you the son of Mary? Well, why don't you act like all the other sons of Mary? And all of us other sons of Mary's that have brothers and sisters. Don't you have brothers and sisters like we are? Why don't you stop being extraordinary and be like us? That's what they were offended at. 
I mean, that's the key to this whole passage here, to stop from being offended, that he would be ordinary, and then he'd be okay. You know, they'd stop persecuting him. They would step back and say, well, yeah, he's a pretty good teacher. He's right there with the best of them. As long as he wasn't extraordinary. As long as he wasn't extraordinary. Out of the realm of ordinary, he would have been all right. You know, it's extraordinary that the world doesn't deal very well with. They want everybody to be ordinary. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, again, you can hold your spot here. Luke chapter 7. I do like coming to King's Edition and listening to Brother Hobbs preach and a lot of you all that were influenced by him use a lot of scriptures. That that really blesses me. You know, sometimes I have my congregation chasing me through the Bible trying to keep up. You know, and I feel good about those sermons. You know, I lift up my outline a couple weeks ago. I said, look at all that red on there. Because, you know, I make it black and blue if it's my words and the red ones is the scriptures. I said, look at all that red. We're going to be spending a lot of time on scripture. We need to. I appreciate that from you all. Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. It says, and all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. He's just been talking about the greatness of John. And, of course, uh, the people that had John's baptism, they, they, they justified him. But in verse 30, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. There's two camps that's drawn here, isn't there? The ones that received the baptism of John, the instruction of John, the teaching of John, and those that rejected it. And the ones that had the baptism, they loved John. Well, we've got John's baptism. And the other ones that didn't have the baptism of John, they're standing back and they're rejecting him, and who does he think he is? And the Lord in verse 31, now these, these are verses that I, the Lord, uh, I hope they'll bless them to you this, this, this morning. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children. Now that's the key to this, this passage here, the word child, they're, they're acting like children. It's what Jesus wants us to see here. It says, They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and you've not danced. It's time to dance. It's time. Nebuchadnezzar, maybe this picture will help you. Nebuchadnezzar says, It's time to bow down. Let's have a great time of worship today. We have piped to you, and you have not danced. There's those three Hebrew children that they brought up. Those Jews, they're not bowing down. And Nebuchadnezzar was in a rage. Why can't you be like us? Why do you have to be extraordinary people? Out of the realm of ordinary. Come on. Just a little bit here. Just a little bit there. Can't you be like us? Can't you be a carpenter? Can't you be Mary's son just for a little bit? Why do you got to be so doggone extraordinary? We have piped into you and you have not danced. We have mourned to you 
and you've not wept. Everything we, every time we want to do something, you're doing something different. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread, and Jesus Christ is putting this uh, logical conundrum in front of them. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he hath a devil. The Son of Man is coming eating and drinking, and you say, Behold a gluttonous man, and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. You can't have them both ways, can you? No matter what we do, it's going to be wrong. Because it's extraordinary. That's what it comes down to. Jesus says, But wisdom is justified of all her children. You know, we can't, I can't make somebody be a Baptist. That's right. I can tell you all, I can trace the history back there. I can tell you all the truths. I can trace the doctrines. But only God can make you a Baptist. That's the way Baptists have always been. Wisdom is justified of her children. And you know what? Sheep, you know, our Sunday school teacher, Brother Pete Chadwick, is fond of saying this. Sheep love sheep food. Sheep love sheep food. And you know, we, we talk about preaching to the choir sometimes here when we have Bible conferences, and it's wonderful because a bunch of sheep out there want to hear what I'm talking about. Sheep food. But you know, goats don't want to hear it. Uh, what was that puckling up that you was talking about there? When you're preaching about the glorious millennial reign to an amillennialist? They're going to pucker up. You know, what about we're preaching the gospel with lost people in the congregation? Have you seen faces turn to stone? And I hope that's right before the Lord shatters them. Because the Lord will be justified in, from His children, as you see here. The real offense is that Jesus Christ makes them, us, look ordinary. Or worse, condemned. Jesus Christ makes their lives, or our lives, if we make it personal, and our livelihood seem ordinary. You ask uh, kindergarten kids, first grade kids, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know, there's not a whole lot of them say, I want to be a laborer in the factory. I want to be a fireman. I want to be an astronaut. And why is that? Because they're dreaming of something extraordinary, aren't they? I don't want to be like Joey. He wants to be a farmer. Can you imagine that? I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to soar up in the heavens. And I'm going to go to the moon. I'm going to be something extraordinary. But you know how many of you are astronauts? How many of you are firemen? I mean, I, know, there's a lot, I, I do have run into some volunteer firemen that give their lives. Policemen, I think noble professions that we have here. That's why kids want to be them. They put their life on the line. Extraordinarily. Not like us ordinary folks. You want to be a preacher when you grow up? <laughs> Who wants to be a preacher? Every preacher I've talked to, that's the last thing I want to be. You know, it might be okay to be Jimmy Swaggart and make millions of dollars. People might want to do that, but they don't want to be a Sovereign Grace Landmark preacher. And if you're here thinking about it, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to be a Sovereign Grace Landmark preacher unless the Lord wants you to be one. Then you, you don't have no choice anyway. You're going to be one. You're going to be extraordinary when you become a Baptist. You'll be extraordinary. When the Lord saves your soul, turns your life upside down, gives you gifts that you haven't even imagined. 
I talk, every time I talk to Brother Roger Reed, he's talking about all the, when, when he was growing up, all these learning difficulties he had and all the things. You know, and I, he's, he has persevered and straightened He's one of the greatest preachers I know. God made him that way. God makes his people extraordinary. We don't have to be astronauts. We be children of God. Amen. The real offense is that Jesus Christ makes their or our families seem ordinary and insufficient. Because they really are. I mean, I love my physical family. I've got four brothers and a sister and mom and dad, and the Lord's allowed me to have them this long. And I, and I love my physical family, but if they weren't also my spiritual family, I really wouldn't have that much in common with them anymore now that Jesus has saved me and changed my life. I praise the Lord that he saved them, and he's made them a vital part. And I pray that the Lord will continue to save my children. He saved three of the five so far. You pray for those other two. That the Lord will save them, that I'll be able to fellowship with them extraordinarily for all of eternity. How marvelous. The world wants Christ to be just like them, and the world wants us to be just like them. That's what I want to spend the rest of my time for in this morning, the book of Acts, chapter 4. Acts, chapter 4. And I was just going to quote verse 12, and like I so often do, I said, I better go look at that. And yeah, I wanted the context there. Acts chapter 4. I went to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 4, and starting in verse 11, is Jesus, Apostle Peter's filled with the Holy Ghost in verse number 8, and he speaks about this Jesus of Nazareth in, in verse number 10. He said, this is the stone. And this is part of our message this morning, isn't it? This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And they rejected him. They rejected him because he was extraordinary. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name. This is an extraordinary name. There is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby ye must be saved. You can't go to Buddha. You can't go to Allah. You know, this, this American tolerance, they say, you've got to get along. I can try to get along with you, but you've got to come to my Savior. Well, you're pretty intolerant then, aren't you? I listened to a college professor was was debating the uh, evolution with him, and, and he's, the other guy said, well, can you at least concede that you might be wrong with evolutionism? Okay, I could be wrong because I don't know where it comes from. And then he turned around and said, but will you admit that you're wrong? You could be wrong? He said, no. <laughs> what? That's not, that's pretty intolerant of you. He said, I know. He said, you can't ask me to stop, to tell you that I don't know the love that my wife has for me. If you were asking me a question, does your wife love you? I'd have to say yes. I couldn't say there's no doubt there. And you're asking me to tell you that I could be wrong about Jesus Christ, the one that changed my life, the one that I know, the one that I have a personal relationship with. No, I can't be wrong about that. He's real. Faith is real, isn't it? 
Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. Now I want to look at verse 13 too. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men just like Matt Stepp, I ain't got no degrees to give you. The only degree I can give you is that I was brought up in a sovereign grace landmark Baptist church. And I've been taught the truth ever since I was, before I was saved. Since I was a child. From a child that has known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Isn't that awesome? When they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with the extraordinary one. What it says, they've been with Jesus. Can folks look at us and like the church at Antioch where they were first called Christians because folks, they're acting just like that Christ fellow. And that one that thought he was better than us. You know, that's the way they'll put it. You know, I know that I don't think I'm better than you. But I know I've got a Savior that's better than anything the world's got. We need to be offensive Christians. Let's finish up with that. We need to be offensive, on the offensive. That's what I was going to preach, and the Lord changed my message around a little bit. I was going to go from offensive to offensive. You know, just putting a little accent difference there. We need to be offensive Christians today because we, number one, we have an extraordinary, exclusive, sovereign God. You know, it bugs folks so much that folks today cannot be agnostic anymore. You know, a lot of people said they were agnostic. You know what agnostic means? I don't know if there's a God. People aren't agnostic anymore. They're atheists. They hate God. But you know, by the very fact that they change from agnostic to atheist, they acknowledge that there is a God. You know, that's what that one boy that was uh, debating, uh, I guess, evolution versus God or whatever, that little video that the Creation Museum put out. That boy came to the end with that college professor and said, Why do you hate God so much? You know, and he tries for a while to say he doesn't, but he finally admits he hates God. And that's what the last shot was. That boy, well, how come you can't hate something unless it's real? God is real. That's why folks aren't agnostic anymore. They're atheists. They know there's a God, and they hate the God that there is. The second thing is, we can be offensive Christians today because we have that same extraordinary word called the Bible, the Word of God, the untouchable truth. You know, they can't argue with it. They can't find errors in it. They try to. They can't. They try to destroy it. They try to burn it. But we've got the gospel of transformation that has changed lives down through history right here in the Word of God. Let's go to the conferences and preach the Word of God. And we'll be successful. We'll be on the offensive. We don't have to be on the defensive. The third thing, we can be offensive Christians today is because we have an extraordinary Baptist church. Read about your history. Study about your history. Preachers, preach about your history. So that the folks will know. How many Baptist churches are there in this world today that think they're Protestants? Isn't that a shame? It is not reading their history. We have an extraordinary church. No, we're not the same as the Methodists. No, we're not the same as the Catholics. No, we're not the same as anybody else out there. We are extraordinary. When you're a Baptist... Just that little immersion of baptism makes you extraordinary. And fourthly and lastly, we have the most extraordinary doctrine. The wonderful doctrine of grace. The wonderful doctrines of the Lord's church. 
They're precious and they're unique to God's people. In John chapter 6, we can read that. We've got time just to read that and then we'll close. John 6, verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What I've been preaching, is that offensive to you? You know, some of his disciples are going to leave. It says, what if, he, what, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend where he was up before? What if you finally figure out, hey, he's extraordinary, and you see him go back up to heaven? That's where I've said I've been coming from. Are you going to believe me or not? It is the spirit which quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak in you, they are spirit in their life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said unto you that no man can come. This is the doctrines of grace right here in a nutshell. That no man can come unto me except it were given unto him and my father. And from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him because they were offended. It doesn't say the lost were offended here. It says there's going to be saved people that's going to be offended at the marvelous and extraordinary doctrine that you've got. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? I love Peter's answer. Then Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Didn't he say thou hast eternal life? Doesn't he say thou hast the gift of eternal life? You've got the words of eternal life. You've got the seed that we can plant. Brother Mike was talking about the planting the seed of faith. Getting put into use. You've got the words of life. And we believe and are sure. It's a bedrock of faith. That thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Beloved brothers and sisters, this morning, I adjure you, don't just be a carpenter. Be an extraordinary Christian. God bless you.